All right. Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. We are excited to dive into all these fun topics with you. If you feel like this is not enough, like you want more, go to parkhillschurch.com or Park Hills Church. That's the app on the app stores. And you'll find our other podcasts there. You'll find sermons. You'll find blog posts, all kinds of good stuff. And we're giving you a ton of things to look at and think about. So we're just asking you to join us in the conversation. There's some really good stuff there. Uh, the blog posts are definitely worth the read. They're they're usually short, uh, short little articles, but boy, a lot of good insights in there and a lot of uh, great contributors there. And we're really thankful for the work they're doing there. Speaking of work, work. not not all of you may uh, may be aware yet that uh, Pastor Chris is actually uh, becoming a doctor. We're very excited about that. You know, we're hoping it'll save on the. The medical expenses around. The, not, I'm just kidding. You know that. Uh, he's <laughs> that actually joke's getting, never going to get old. He's actually getting his demon, uh, but we don't like to say that demon because <laughs> it sounds like demon. We don't want him to get a demon either. But Correct. he's actually getting his doctorate of ministry, and yes, um, he's actually most of the way through the classwork. He's actually taking a class this week, and so uh, I will say that that does bring out the immaturity in me from time to time as I see him no. standing at his computer looking at the screen and and being in class like a good schoolboy there's a little part of me that stands outside his window and wants to ask him where his iron man lunchbox is because he's in school so but anyway whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. so really quick just for the record governor pritzker if you're listening to this podcast i need you to open up everything <laughs> so that my college can go back to in person for doctoral students <laughs> so that pastor mark can no longer mock me in my office. So if you're listening, buddy, <laughs> thank you. Just do it just for me. Don't don't worry about anybody else. Just me. As much as we mock the student, he's a great <laughs> student, and uh, he's uh, almost done with this classwork and beginning the final project. And yeah, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah. So I'm working on putting the final pieces of it together. My my final. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, proposal is going to be due by the end of the summer. And what the proposal is, is I'm, I am asking us to consider, uh, and the us there is, is either Park Hills or the church in general. I'm asking us to consider looking at some of the more supernatural aspects of the Bible that we kind of just gloss over and don't think much about. And trying to show how that that it would implement into a discipleship conversation. So I don't think they're there just to read over and not pay attention to. I think that there's some significant aspects of anthropology and Christology, what what Christ is accomplishing on the cross and and then what he on the cross, not crossed. Uh, what, he's, what he's accomplishing <laughs> on the cross and then how that impacts us in our in our adopted state before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the glorified body concept, all of that has some really neat elements from the Old and New Testaments that are all pulled together. And there's some tremendous scholarly work being written on that. 
So what I'm doing right now is compiling all, as many scholarly resources as I can, reading those things, marking them up, preparing them. And then I'm going to create a 10-week small group that walks through this, and we're just going to talk about discipleship from this perspective. And then those people that join in the small group with me are going to actually uh, be interviewed by me at the end of the class, and then those interviews are going to become the bulk of my final project. They will be your subjects. They are my subjects. They actually, It's so official. They actually, actually have to fill out like a, a waiver that they're trusting me with their minds kind of thing. Wow. So, Good luck finding those. No, I'm just kidding. Not for the not for the faint of heart. <laughs> that is that is correct. You know, we talk a lot about Israel, and we're actually excited because it's not too long from now, Lord willing, we'll have our trip to Israel, and what a what a fun thing to do. I had a chance to go back there many, many years ago, although I'm not that old, but I may have been there in 1982. I may have been there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I was I'm, being born. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I'm excited about the chance to do it again. I mean, it's there's something about going to the land that we're reading about all the time, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to take a group, and we've, we've got people signing up. There's, there's going to be spots available for a little while here. But I'm excited to take people to where stuff happened and actually show you what it looks like. I think when we think of Israel, we – I don't know what ideas or conjures in our head, but it's never close to what it actually looks like, right? And those of us who have mm-hmm. been there, when we teach it or we talk about it, we're seeing something that we're able, to hopefully, to describe to folks. But they're – Still, the ideas that are conjured are not exactly what what it's actually like. And so I'm pretty passionate about just getting people to the place, helping them to see it, helping them to think it through, helping them to realize this, oh, this is where the promised land is. This is what Israel was supposed to move into. And and then I think also important is for us to notice that the land is not as central to our faith today as it yeah. as it you know, when Israel's moving into the land, into the promised land, there's a significant promise that's being promised there. The beautiful thing about the church is what God did through Christ, there's no boundaries anymore. There's no borders. Right. There's no the, – the church was meant to spread to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So in some sense, we are accomplishing the purpose of being the church on the ends of the earth. You know, We're on the other side of the globe from them almost exactly in some ways. And so there's a beauty in that, and there's something really interesting. And so I love painting that picture for people and helping them realize – there's nothing magical or special about the promised land, but yet there's something about seeing it that makes the Bible come to life. And then if the Bible comes to life, I think there's some really neat things that, that go along with that. And and with that, and so to tie the doctorate work and the Israel thing all together, I, I want to dive into kind of a weird section of scripture that you read just a couple of weeks ago, if you're in the Bible plan with us. Uh, and if you're not reading with us, man, we're going to keep encouraging you. We're, this is not a guilt trip. We're not telling you that you're a terrible Christian if you don't do it. But we, we need you to jump in. We want you to read God's word. Mm-hmm. We want you to read it steadily. We want you to read through it all the way. We want you to see that there are tremendous things happening. We also want you to start to learn discernment of the text and that you realize that not everything in the text is supposed to be replicated. You know, I, I've had a few conversations with people about polygamy in the, in the book of Genesis, and they're like, well— why is it okay for them? It wasn't okay for them. It, this, this, the Bible is kind of giving us ac- access to God's mind and then also showing us humanity's really messed up. Even the best of us really mess up. 
So with all that, and to pull it all together, here we go. Deuteronomy 2 and 3, I'm going to just pull out a few different passages here and kind of talk about them for a second, and you can dive in and make fun of me as much as you want, Pastor Mark. Oh, please. Not that you would ever do such a thing. No, I just want to be part of Kurds from the Herd. <laughs> Who doesn't? That's the greatest <laughs> band ever. I don't know if you realize it, but when <laughs> Pastor Chris actually read those words, Kurds from the Herd, and they got him, they caught him funny, he almost didn't recover from that. I know him well enough, and yeah. and I saw him it was looking, looking over at me, and I thought, uh-oh. It was gonna, close. I might have to pick up the pieces here, but it, I do think that would be a good band name. It is crazy when you're reading the text, because I didn't do that in the first service. It was only right. in the second and you read it, and then all of a sudden, this this idea runs through your brain. And then I don't know about you, but I, I feel like sometimes it runs through my brain, and then I like run after it and chase it. And then I'm like, <laughs> No, what am I doing over here? I shouldn't be in this alley. This is messed up. So yeah, curse from the herd, Deuteronomy 32. Uh, let me. Let, so here sorry. We go. No, you, this is good. You remember what you're talking about? This is good. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I do this to Chris all the time. It's my pleasure. He does. It's like talking to a, a dog with ADD. You know, squirrel. <laughs> uh, Mark just drags me along, and so. When Israel is on their way to the promised land, Moses, you know, the, the book of Numbers has all these rebellions that we talked about in the other podcast. Deuteronomy then is Mo, Moses' sermon saying, this is what I want you to notice or think of be. And in doing so, he starts talking about different aspects of the land. And if we go to Israel, you will see some of these things. Like Mount Seir, you can see it off in the distance. If, you know, if we're talking about the mountains of Edom, when we're in uh, Jericho, uh, you know, or walking down the Wadi Kelt, you're going to look up and you're going to see the mountains of Edom, the mountains of Moab. Like it's, it's so clear and it just starts to make sense. And so as that's happening, Moses is talking about they're moving into the land. He says these crazy things. And I want to point out just a few of them for you. He talks about the people of Esau in, this is in chapter two, verse four and on. People of Esau who live in Mount Seir, they're going to be afraid of you. So be careful. And he says, you know, just be aware of them, that kind of thing. But then as we move down, he keeps talking about other areas. Moab, it gets brought up. And I just mentioned, so you got Edom and Moab. Those are mountains just outside of, of Jericho. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given our, or land, to the people of Lot for a possession. I have given this to the people of Lot for a possession. And then in verse 10, it says, the Emim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and tall as the Anakim. Now, we brought up the Nephilim briefly mm-hmm. in the Genesis 6 thing. And this is part of the supernatural things that I'm talking about. There's this weirdness that's in the text that we don't even notice it's there all the time. And notice what it says then in verse 11. Like the Anakim, they are also re- counted as Rephaim, but the Moab Moabites call them Emim. And the Horites, who also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them before them and settled in their place as Israel did to the land of possession, which the, which the Lord gave to them. Now, let me just kind of real quick run through this. So if I'm reading that correctly, what, what God is saying is, going back to the Nephilim passage in Genesis 6, some weird stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Great and mighty people were made. Tall people, great and mighty, whatever word you want to use I like to think there. that all tall people are great. Personally. All tall people are great, Mark, <laughs> Pastor Mark. Uh, they're all great. That's why we look up to them because they're so great. <laughs> yes. But imagine, we're not talking about you're tall. You know, we're like, talking about big, big tall. We're talking, well, I mean, Goliath is nine feet tall. And, you know, there's a ton of scholars that try to debate these passages. <laughs> Like it or not, the archaeological record in Canaan 
does have very large bones for a number of individuals. So what you start to realize is for some reason, giant people settled in the land of Canaan and just outside. And what Moses just said there is the Emim formerly lived there, but who kicked them out? The Moabites did. Esau and the, and the Moabites worked together, but the people of Esau actually are the ones that are given credit to dispossess them and destroy them before they were there for them. Esau is the brother of Je- Josh or sorry, Jacob, like, right. The, the brother of Israel. So if you're starting to break this down, then what you're looking at is the Edomites live in the region. The Moabites live in the region. The Ammonites live in the region. They're all related to Abram, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. got Jacob's brother, Esau, who's got kids. You've got Lot has a couple of kids with his daughters in that weird situation in the cave. One of them is, is Ben-Ami, which is the Ammonites, and one of them is, is Moab. So what you start to see is that the people that God chose, Abram and his family, Lot and all the way down the line, these individuals are so sold out. They're so sold out to Yahweh, uh, even though they don't necessarily follow him the best all the time, even though they miss the mark a lot. But they're choosing to remove things from the land that don't line up with God's purposes is how I'm reading it. And I think that's the best way to read this. So then you start to scroll down a little bit and you're realizing these Anakites these, uh, show up a bunch, these Emim show up a bunch. And then you go down to verse 20. It also counted as the land of the Rephaim. Remember what we just said mm-hmm. about Rephaim. The Rephaim are tied to the Anakim who are tied to the Amim. Like all these names are the same. And the Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. So when Another you name s- for them. You like that? Yeah, Zamzumim. So then you look at Zamzumim and you're like, okay, who are they? Well, go to the next verse, verse 21. A people great and many and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites and they dispossessed them and settled in their place. I also want you to see who's doing the fighting. Yeah. It is, yeah. It is the Ammonites. It is the, you know, the, the members of Esau's family. But the Lord is doing the the battle. And then you start to go, wait, why is God clearing the land of these giants? If you go back to Genesis 6, they're not supposed to be in existence. Something weird is going on, and God is wiping out this rebellion piece by piece, person by person, tribe by tribe, whatever. If the tribe is going to align themselves with Yahweh, they're going to choose to fight back and to push these people back. So then you move down a little further and you start getting into some of these weird possession passages of like these people took the possession of the land, these people took possession of the land. So you've got the king of, of his name is Sihon, king of Heshbon, down a little bit further in the chapter. And then in chapter three, this gets even stranger in my, apparently my version. Well, oh yeah, here we go. I was uh, opening a Bible app in my, on my computer and for some reason it wouldn't let me move on to the next chapter, but I figured it out. All right. So then the next chapter, chapter three, it talks about Sihon, the king of Amorites again, and you got that. And I want you to also notice the word Amorites. That's going to come up a bunch in the prophets. And there's going to be all these things that are said about the Amorites and how despicable they are, how disgusting they are. But then God's also going to say, your father and your mother are actually Amorites. So he's going to point out that Abram's coming from a people that no one should be honored by the fact that they're from Abram, which it's going to be a weird move that God's going to do in Ezekiel and other places. But then it says this in verse three, the Lord God gave into your hand Og also, the king of Bashan. And we remember that we talked this summer about Magog, Magog, mm-hmm. right? Yep. 
And, and so in Revelation, this comes up and you start to go, okay, all these names, there's some kind of weird connection. There's something going on. And if you go a little further down in this chapter, uh, verse 11, for only Og, so this is chapter three, verse 11, if you're following along in your Bible, which I would recommend if you haven't gone and grabbed one yet, you should go grab one now, start the whole podcast all over again and, and get going. Verse 11, <laughs> for only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. So we, if, we're, if we're tied into these clues here, Rephaim are tied to the Anakim. The Anakim we've already mentioned in Joshua and elsewhere because we just finished Joshua in our reading. So I'm kind of, I waited to do this podcast until we were through Joshua moving into Judges uh, because it'll start to make a little more sense for us. But Og, the king of Bashan, was left in the remnant of the Rephaim. The Rephaim are tied to the Anakites. The Anakites are, are the, the, right, the people in the land that, that the people are freaking out of in, in the book of Numbers, which are all tied back to this Genesis 6, Nef, uh, you know, the, the Nephilim, this whole thing. And this is what it says about this guy. Behold, his bed was a bed made of iron. And then it says it was nine cubits in length and four cubits in width. That's a 13 and a half foot yeah, bed. Four meters long. Why would you have a bed that is that huge unless you're someone your big boy. Who is that huge? So then, and this is where I'm going to I'm gonna stop on this point and then just kind of open it up for a second and then we'll move into Deuteronomy 32 really quickly and then I'll move on from there But and then we'll be done. But I want to just point out, this is not like a tiny little storyline that the Bible never pricks up again. I think we all think Goliath shows up and that's the first time this occurs. But if we're reading the text closely, I think what's happening here is that there are beings who are in direct rebellion against God. They shouldn't exist because they are deformed for some reason. And their deformity comes from some type of weird supernatural connection that should not exist. And if that's the case, then the clearing of the land that we talked about in Joshua that freaks a lot of people out, and rightfully so, because Joshua is a tough book to read. The clearing of the land may have more to do with removing the giant people. The remnants. Yes, <laughs> which then starts to paint that as a totally different picture. And so what he's saying here, if you read two and three, like I just did, he's saying these people keep getting wiped out. These people get wiped out. But it's not just human beings. It's giant people who are possessive and oppressive toward humanity. They're doing things that they should not be doing. And what God wants his people to do, whether it's the tribe of Israel or whether it's the tribe of Moab, the tribe of Ammon, the tribe of, of Esau, he's wanting them to actually push these individuals out of this land. He wants the land to be free from oppression. He wants it to be free from these giants. So then the David story with Goliath is just the basically the last story in a long chapter of possibilities. So what are your thoughts on that? So you got David kind of just cleaning this all up and, and maybe it speaks to him even understanding a little bit more how much, uh, how God felt about these people and, mm -hmm. and how he knew the Lord was going to be with him in this and he didn't have to be afraid or it's a wild concept. Yeah. And it, and it shows that cause it even mentions Goliath as being a member of the Anakim. So then again, if you're just doing good biblical study, I think we just breeze through these chapters cause they're boring. You know, like you made the joke about about the uh, Deuteronomy 25, 11, and 12 passage, you know. Yeah. And there's this idea here of, 
or if you're reading through Deuteronomy, people notice that and they go, wait, what is going on with this passage? This is weird. This, yeah, this is, is crazy. something unique. <laughs> it's very unique. And you read it and you go, why is this here? There's passages like that that we read and we go, let's dig into that a little bit. Let's think about it. But we never do that with Deuteronomy 2 and 3. I don't know about you, but yeah. up until even a couple of years ago, I just breezed through this this section of scripture until I, I one day just was kind of like, what are the Anakim? And I looked it up and then I was like, oh, Nephaim, you know, what do we do here? And you got all these different names for them. Everybody's calling them something different, but they definitely drew attention. Yeah. Wow. And I think so in some sense, the Israelites believe, and, and rightfully so, we, we have a right to the land and we need to clear this disgustingness out of the land. So then you go back to Deuteronomy 32, the passage I preached, and I didn't bring this up in the sermon because we don't have enough time to unpack all of this. And again, I, I know that this could make people like think, this is crazy, this is weird, what's going on? But even in Deuteronomy 32 and 33, part of what Moses is saying is, I want you people to be true to the one true king, the one true God. Uh, there's only one God that's worth following. And this God, Yahweh, he deserves everything you've got. Don't be like the nations that are serving theirs. Don't, don't be like the nations that are sacrificing these people, doing these things. And I think in some sense that he's even saying there, don't be like the nations who are seeking supernatural solutions to how to dominate the earth. Yeah, who, nations who are even worshiping these big beings. Totally. You know, and making them king. Yeah. So if you're going to tie Deuteronomy up in that sense, then you kind of look at it and you go, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with Deuteronomy, which makes me go, what Moses is seeing is the land is being conquered. It's our turn to take the next step. We got to clean this out. And the cleaning it out is going to give earth uh, a chance to recover and to get back to the way it's supposed to be. And then you read stories later on where the Israelites don't live up to this expectation, where they pick a king based on the way he looks versus not. And all of this is sort of forecasting for us. Kind of like Saul? Yeah. They're looking like the nations. They're choosing to be like the nations. Choose a big one. And we should be looking at Deuteronomy 32 going, whoa. That's what he's talking about when he talks about they're kicking against the goads. They're pushing back on God. They're not doing things God's way. So that's just a little piece of, of some of the research I've been doing. And so, you know, I'm not going to give you any more than that because the class itself is, gonna, is not going to dive into this, but much more intense and amazing things. But I think at the end of it, you know, one of the questions people have been asking me is, okay, so what is it going to accomplish? What I'm learning is, the more I spend time thinking about discipleship and thinking about reading God's word in its entirety, not being afraid of any of the passages that don't make sense, not being afraid of anything that just doesn't quite jive the way it should, I'm actually growing more in love with my Savior and for what he accomplished in, in me and through me and what he's doing uh, to change my life and to change the life of our church. And so my hope is that the more intense in the Bible we get, the more excited we get about God's word. And by the way, Bashan is one of the stops that we're going to make in Israel. Uh, and when you drive to Bashan, you're like, why did they choose this area? It's so gorgeous. It's, it's probably one of the nicest parts of Israel, but it's also one of the main centers of idol worship. And it ends up being really the center of, of idolatry and, and evil in the kingdom of Israel. And you go, okay, there's more going on in the text. There's more going on in the land. Maybe I should stop and, and realize that this all is not worthless. That there's more happening, that God has intentions with every part of his text, even the parts that don't make sense to me. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know if that helps at all, but I thought we'd make a podcast of at least part of it and just kind of throw it out there. I would hope, too, that um, I find it true in my life, and you kind of mentioned it, too, that 
the more we read through scripture, um, maybe the slower we'll go in that it's not just, oh, I, I've got to accomplish this. I got a goal to read it in a year. I want the churches pushing me to do it, but more of, you know, what, what have I not seen before? Um, and what makes me stop now and go, well, what's going on with that? Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's, <laughs> if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. That's <laughs> Deuteronomy's got some fascinating stuff in it. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's freaking me out a little bit even. Uh, and I, I started noticing this a couple of years ago and then I went back through. So I did the Bible reading plan last year to prepare and see if it really worked and if, if we liked it. And then going through it this time again, this, this passage jumped at me. Two and three was way more intense than it was a few years ago. And I'm like, whoa, okay, this is kind of cool. Look what God's word's doing in my heart um, and how it's changing me. So yeah, I like that. Good stuff. Good stuff.